This is RTE Radio 1. Now, Arts Tonight, presented by Vincent Woods. As the 2015 Wexford Festival Opera continues, Arts Tonight goes behind the scenes to see how a new production of a rarely seen opera, Guglielmo Ratcliffe, is brought to the stage. We hear from some of those involved in aspects of the production, including casting, production and stage management, costume, wigs and makeup. Guglielmo Ratcliffe set in the north of Scotland in the early 19th century, tragic opera in four acts to an Italian libretto by Andrea Maffi, translated from the German play of 1822, Wilhelm Ratcliffe by Heinrich Heine. Theresa Sang, the production's stage manager, sets the scene. In Act One, we meet the McGregor family, and we also meet the old lady of the family, Margarita. People call her crazy, but she's one of those characters who seems crazy but probably knows the best out of everyone in the whole show because she understands the full history of the McGregor family. We meet McGregor, the head of the household. We meet Maria and her new fiancé, Douglas. This is a dinner um, celebrating the engagement of Maria and Douglas. But Margarita is not particularly happy with this pairing, and she's not shy about showing that. So it is not the most comfortable dinner. Maria tries her best to sort of soothe everything over, and she asks Douglas to tell the news of London, because they hear very little in Scotland. So he goes through the news of, of London, and then Maria asks him to tell her, how was your trip coming down? And indeed, Count Douglas has had a bit of a harrowing trip. He was attacked by uh, robbers. And just at the moment where he almost loses his battle with the robbers, a stranger comes out of the night and they chase the robbers off. He's later to find out that that stranger was Guillermo Ratcliffe himself. Interestingly, Ratcliffe has saved him for a not particularly good purpose because Maria, after hearing the story, faints And then she excuses herself and she leaves. And Douglas and McGregor are left alone to speak. And Douglas finds out that Maria and Ratcliffe were once enamored of each other. But when it came to deciding to marry Ratcliffe, Maria was a little bit afraid of his temper. So she decided not to marry him. Um, He took that very badly. Consequently, Maria had two other suitors who came. They were engaged... And each time, Ratcliffe challenged them to a duel and killed both of them and sent their hands back to Maria with the engagement ring on the hand. So it's a bit nefarious what he's done. But in his eyes, he's acted as a gentleman because an official challenge was issued. So Douglas has now found out that very likely he's going to be challenged to a duel and may lose his hand over it. By the end of the act... Ratcliffe's servant comes with a note, which is the challenge duel. So now Douglas knows he must meet Ratcliffe in the challenge. So that sets everything up. 
stage manager Teresa sang. So how does an opera such as Guglielmo Ratcliffe come to the programme of the Wexford Festival Opera? David Agler is the festival's artistic director. A number of ways I put together a season, and sometimes it's uh, just serendipity or it falls that way. At a certain point in planning this season, we realised we needed to have an opera that didn't have a large chorus in it. So I looked for an opera, number one, that had no chorus in it. So that was the practical reason. There aren't a lot of operas that Wexford hasn't already done of the no-chorus variety. So I thought, well, what's another big theme of Wexford's music? And it's the 19th century Italian repertory. I liked the fact that Mascagni is a composer, that people would know the name of the composer because of Calvaria Rusticana, didn't have a chorus, and it fit the bill. It was really quite that simple. And it made a good balance against the two other operas we're doing. Had you seen many productions of it before? I mean, is it an opera you're, you're quite familiar with? Uh, first of all, to say it was Mascagni's favorite opera. He maintained it was his favorite opera, but it does not get done uh, for two reasons. A lot of theaters in the world are just lazy, but also it has a fiendishly difficult tenor part, and I think mostly people shy away from it because of the difficulty of the tenor part. It was difficult to find a tenor, but Angelo Villari, who is singing here, is just a fantastic singer. I think he'll thrill people. Is that sometimes a, a joy, that challenge, for instance, of finding uh, a great tenor or a great mezzo or, you know, uh, the right performer for what is ostensibly a difficult part? Is that part of, of, of the relish of the job for you? Um, you know, this goes back a long time with the history of the artistic directors here. Yes, we're known for all these unusual and rarely performed operas, but the real fun is for us to find singers that might thrill the world. And the the record here is amazing, going back to Mirella Freni, Juan Diego Flores. That's a long, long list of singers. For which reason, um, all the principal serious opera critics in the world come here. The RTE, the BBC records... It's a place for managers to come and see if they can find a new singer to, to manage. The, the rest of the creative team for a production like this, how do you go about gathering together that creative team to make the production possible? I try to f- uh, offer the public a good balance of, of looks, uh, so there's not really a Wexford look. And um, therefore, I pick a wide variety of uh, directors and designers with different styles. This is a difficult opera to make sense of for modern audiences. And uh, Fabio, who's doing it here, came up with a fantastic idea to way to make this work. And also, once again, we try to find uh, directors and designers and conductors who might um, be new to, uh, to our audiences that's all a long, long tradition of Wexford. If you were to look in the back of our program book and see the people that have directed and designed in this theatre since 1951. Is there a particular kind of opera which is best suited to to this opera house in Wexford, now the, the National Opera House, um, you know, given perhaps some limitations of, of space. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful new building. Scale, it's, it's not on, on the scale of, of some other opera houses. And does that help to almost set a certain agenda uh, in terms of, of what you can put on and what, how the festival is defined? I only produced one season, 2005, in the old Theatre Royal, which in some ways I really miss.
but there were many operas which my predecessors would have liked to have presented here but could not. We can do almost everything here, but yes, there are exceptions. We just don't have the space in the wings. Uh, but we have a we could do Meistersinger here by Wagner. Our, our orchestra pit is big enough, uh, so we're we're not too constrained. Money is always in general, you know, as festival director, as artistic director, in terms of of an audience response. What what do you hope they'll take away from the production? We're in the business of doing unfamiliar opera and. I try to offer the public operas which are musically worthy, dramatically viable, and that it might be something that they would like to hear, or after the fact, are glad they have heard. I don't expect the public to equally love them. In fact, I enjoy people that come out of the theater and say, where did you find that awful opera? To be followed by somebody who comes out of the theater and say, that was one of the finest evenings I ever spent in the theater. So um, if I can elicit uh, reactions like that, I'm content. It is a fact that uh, I sometimes say this. I say it a lot, and I'll say it again to you. People, I think, in Ireland don't appreciate the importance of Wexford in the wider operatic, international operatic context and what Wexford has given to the world over the last 60 years. There are works that were done here at a certain point, which are now part of the operatic canon, but until we did Pearl Fishers here, nobody knew it. Ray Bingle is the festival's production administrator. The set of Guglielmo Ratcliffe is being fitted on the stage behind us. The design for Guglielmo Ratcliffe um, is very unusual in that the most of the set is white, all the costumes in this production are also white, so it's a very late Victorian image in white. The opera is usually set in Scotland, but this version, all the costumes, many of the props, the furniture, is either white or silver, and that's the main image you'll see when seeing this opera. At the moment, we're looking at Act 3, which has the trees, which is in the forest, and during this scene, there is a very long dual scene between three of the characters. And at the moment on stage, they're lighting Act 3, ready for a rehearsal this afternoon when the company come in at 2 o'clock. They will do a what we call stage and piano rehearsal of Act 3. At the moment, we're looking on stage at a gauze on stage, which there's been a lot of work into making this look like a forest because this scene is set in the forest in Act 3 of Ratcliffe. So how does the scheduling work to bring the production to where it needs to be come October and the festival's opening? As the uh, production administrator, myself and David Stoddard, the technical director, in April of this year, we went over to meet the designer and the director and they presented the model of Radcliffe Forest. So it's like a very small scale model of the set with drawings of the costumes. And then David Stoddard took that away and costed it up to make sure we could afford to produce the piece. And then the set is the set here was actually built in Italy and the costumes were all built in Rome, in a costume house in Rome. And then everything was shipped over to Wexford. We then spend the six months before the festival from March and April working on the budgets, discussing with the designers things they want. We then wait for the prop lists, which are all the props, tables, chairs required in this show all the furniture is white, and that's caused us a problem because we've had to find white furniture, white Victorian chairs. Um, it's a very 
beautiful looking simple white set with lots of very ornate beautiful white furniture and props and we discussed that throughout the year working closely with the people in Italy and because most of the people who work for Wexford are part-time we only work for six months of the year myself included as the festival so we I live in the UK so I speak to David here we speak to people in Italy etc and David Agler lives in Vancouver so we all then come together for the festival and now we're in the the last stages before the piano dress rehearsal where we'll see the final complete work that we've been working on since March April of this year we would desperately like to get what's on stage at the moment one of the large trees into a rehearsal room but we just can't get it into a rehearsal room we're trying to sort out a way so they can rehearse with the tree in a room that's part of my job is sorting out small problems like that and just making sure that everything is ready for the rehearsals and for rehearsals on stage because we have to keep to a very tight schedule during the day because there's so many other activities going on. Giuseppe Palele is the costume designer. So what does his role in the staging of Guglielmo Ratcliffe involve? Uh, for me, the first step to designing a costume is the historical analysis of the dress. Volume, form, body deformation. Uh, then I look at the face of the singer. Uh, in this cast, we have a beautiful people, beautiful people. And I try thinking of them in a historical dress. Because in the past uh, was the dress who gives the form to the body. Today we have uh, to make costumes thinking that that's to be comfortable. Uh, comfortable solution. Uh, it's very important for the movement, for dancing, for the seat, for walking. Uh, the solution is uh, strange, but is comfortable with tool. Giuseppe explains the first step in designing an opera's costumes. Uh, last March, uh, with the director Fabio Ceresa and Tiziano Santi, the set designer, uh, we started to study uh, the libretto and the music to find the idea to every single character. Uh, from the beginning, we feel a strong dream world, white uh, dream world. Then I use my imagination and uh, in each sketch, I put all the details from the libretto and uh, the director idea. The director asked me to think in a white dream world. I use, uh, you can see, ivory color, sand color for a little difference because the distance in the stage is very important. Jenny Roddy is head of costumes. The majority of the production happens over in Italy. So it would be Giuseppe and Tiziana, who's the supervisor who works alongside of Giuseppe. In Italy, they will source the embellishments and the fabric samples. And in these particular costumes, there's a lot of sculptural elements to them. So the sculptural elements, um, fortunately, because Giuseppe's uh, past, he was he was a sculptor in the past. So he has uh, the ability to produce the sculptural elements himself. Um, I suppose the style of the sculptural elements would be described as a uh, would be known as steampunk so it's a, a mixture between it's got a kind of a Victorian aesthetic but mixed with a futuristic idea so then uh, he went to his parents house and his parents are collectors <laughs> of 
lots and lots of materials. <laughs> so uh, he used uh, so many variety of materials. He took old skulls and he, he made casts of them, of sheep skulls or goat skulls. And uh, he took children's toys and he took mechanical elements and he would have cast from them or, or just used them. And he put latex and paint and silver paint on them. And he made these beautiful sculptural elements to add to the costume underneath. They come assembled to Wexford. So they come, uh, we send their measurements of all the performers over to Italy. In Italy, they work with the measurement sheets, they work with the designs and they produce the costumes. Then they get sent to Wexford for fitting on our performers, where that's where our team come in. We work with the designer, we work with the supervisor and we work with our whole wardrobe team to fit all of the costumes here. How do the performers take to their costumes Sometimes people are uh, very comfortable in fittings and enjoy costume, um, you know, and they're very happy to see their costumes and helps them to finally help them to actualize their character more. Um, other people are just find costume very difficult. You know, it's a really difficult personal experience because some people are, are more focused on the thought of their character. They're more or about their voice if they're singing or other elements that are more to the fore for them. So sometimes costume can be challenging because they have to f- find a way for their bodies to be inside it whilst they're performing. So, you know, we just have to be, I suppose, as sensitive as possible in fittings to try to um, allow for all the different types of people that we come across to feel comfortable during the fitting. And uh, yes, sometimes we might have inaccuracies in our measurement sheets that then translate into the costume, which then we have to resolve once we come to fitting. So that happens. And that's why we have our wardrobe team here. Anne Reck, wardrobe mistress, gives more details on the nature of the costumes. They are quite heavy and it is a job for them to wear it. And sometimes they find it very difficult and they're very warm on stage underneath the lights. They do try to make them of a lighter material. Years ago they were made of heavy velvet and stuff like that, but now they're made of a much lighter material. Anne Reck has worked with the Wexford Festival Opera for many years and has seen many changes take place over that time. I joined the team in about 1979. Stella Kennedy brought me in and we worked in the very old opera house <laughs> upstairs and that was where the costume department was and I started then in costume and I've been doing it ever since. Facilities did improve um, when we moved into our new opera house. We have a lot more space um, Back in the early 80s, um, when I I was married and I had two children and when I was volunteering, they came in when I was sewing and they used to draw pictures on the table. And in latter years, they have been on the stage in the festival. I never get to see the operas on stage because I'm always behind the scenes dressing and getting them ready to go on for their performance. Jenny Roddy again. It's different for me. Um, Anne is does basically runs all the dressing. We call it dressing is when people are backstage getting the performers into their clothes. Mm-hmm. Anne and a team of volunteers come in and they they do all the dressing for our principals and our chorus. Uh, in the old theatre, I know Anne used to say that she used to she used to love it because they'd be able to sit on the steps and they used to be able to check all of the performers going down onto the stage so they'd never be able to go into the stage with the crooked tie or anything like this. Giuseppe Palele. Uh, the costume growing during the performance. Uh, we start with a simple costume to arrive at the scenes with more, more, more details. And these details explain uh, the meaning of the story. It's to look through the folk. Uh, we choose the white 
to concentrate our attention uh, to the psychology of the character. Guglielmo will introduce the only color in the entire story. The character of Margherita is the link between the hour and the world of death. It's very important. I told Margarita with white eyes, like a blind woman. Uh, a blind woman because she has a power to see things that normal people couldn't see. Uh, in my vision, the ghosts are animals. You can see the wolf uh, and the another mask uh, that are on the stage now. So because Margarita is the link between to the world, she became animal too. And Carol, the makeup artist, uh, she can see uh, the transformation. Carol Dunn, the wigs and makeup supervisor, brought us into her work area where her team are busy meeting pending deadlines. A couple of months back, Giuseppe, the costume designer, would have sent me the drawings and his ideas for makeup, etc., etc. And from that, then we'd have ordered wigs and hair pieces, etc. So the last two weeks, I've been getting the makeup together and um, the wigs and the hair pieces, etc., etc. And we've been working out looks ourselves. So at this stage, we're practically ready to go on stage. You know, we're still waiting for some wigs to come from Italy. But right here now, the girls are working on steampunk looks and basically their hair extensions, which have been made into Rasta dreadlocks or they've been made into braids. And we're adding on jewellery like silver jewellery because the entire look for this is white. It's diamante, pearl, silver, you know, it's very dramatic. And you kind of think to yourself, White is ordinary, plain, whatever, but it is amazing. Giuseppe, the costume designer, has done the most amazing job on the costumes. They really, and he has, he's a genius. His designs are amazing. I'm very excited for this one, to be honest with you. It's my favourite of the three operas. Not supposed to say that, but... <laughs> So Maria here is literally just sewing on some um, elastic so that we can fit it onto the head because the boys will have a bandana um, so it'll just look like they're kind of rasta and we've had a lot of dirt to them, dark circles under the eyes and red under the eyes just to give them that sort of dirty, tired, you know, we're kind of bandity look. So what period are Carl and her team trying to capture in her wigs and makeup style? I would say my take on it is period, but it's got very futuristic, you know, um, looks and vibes throughout it, which is absolutely fantastic. It's really nice to put a spin on a period thing. Claire is doing the same. She's putting the elastic on the dreadlocks here. And this is Steffi. Steffi's my assistant. And what she's doing at the moment is we've had um, a wig come in that we're hiring for one of the characters. And she's basically making it darker at the roots. It's come in as a blonde wig, but we want it to look like he's got dark hair, that he's had highlights. And basically we're just darkening the roots and we're going to do some low lights through it and leave the ends all like a balayage blonde on the ends, which is quite modern. So again, it's the modern take of a period look. And he's actually going to have his hair up in a top knot, which again is quite modern. But we will still have um, a lot of the sideburns, the big lamb chops that we would have had in that period, etc. So it's kind of, it's a mix. It's it's quite a mix. But I think spectacular, like visually, it's going to be quite spectacular. We also have headdresses 
two deers, two wolves, and then Annunciata, who is our leading lady. She has a huge stag headdress, which they've just taken it for rehearsals. I was sewing in some hair so that the antlers look like they're actually coming out of her head. And this is her wig here, which is a long white grey wig with blonde bits on the end. So and then she is going to have a white face makeup, damson, purpley, plummy colours around the eyes, very dramatic under the cheekbones. She'll have white contact lenses as well and quite a dramatic plum lip. So she's going to be very, very dramatic. And Quinton Hayes is another person who will be white makeup. He will have a mad grey wig and he will have the damson colours. So the two of them are kind of like the same-ish. And then the other people will just be plain, sort of pale, with false lashes and just a beauty sort of makeup. Some love it, some hate it. But the majority of people love it because I think it absolutely helps the character. It helps them become the character on stage. And a lot of people say, I really didn't feel it till I had my hair and makeup done and my costume on, of course. And once they have their hair, makeup and costume, they can really, really get into their character. Generally, um, we won't call anybody in longer than two hours before. And it does depend absolutely on the opera. But on something like this, where you have quite complicated makeups and hairs and wigs, etc., we will call our leading lady in usually two hours before. We will spend a half an hour, 40 minutes doing her. You just basically have to get your time down. And and that's it, because you have to get everybody done. So, um, yeah, you just do it as fast as you can, as best as you can. It's up to us to do it within the time, basically. That's part of the challenge. Um, If somebody sweats a hell of a lot, there are mattifiers that we can use under the makeup. And we'd like to keep them cool sometimes with ice packs on the neck. And it just it really does depend. But we are here all night touching them up and just making sure that, you know, um, they stay cool and they stay matte. Give them powder, redo their makeup, do whatever. Um, So we're constantly checking them. Nora Cosgrave is Director of Artistic Administration. Um, At the end of last season, in 2014, David had decided that he announced Guglielmo Ratcliffe as one of the operas. So the next thing was we found David found a director, a designer and the creative team. And we discussed the project with them. And then David and myself and all the other team, David Stoddart and Dre Bingle, would sit down and set up the contract. I would do the contracts for all of the teams and the audition process happens and we go look for the singers that will do very well so we audition in London Dublin David will do uh, New York Toronto and sometimes we actually hold auditions in Italy as well because another one of my colleagues is based there so after the audition process we then start contracting singers then 
Uh, it's booking accommodation. It's booking their travel. It's getting their measurements. It's getting to know them via email or through the agents. It's sitting down with the rest of my colleagues and seeing where Radcliffe fits into the season. Wexford, as everybody knows, is a very, very small town where we um, haven't got an airport that people can fly in and out. So we have to try to keep people here for seven weeks and in that seven week period we have to get so much we have to get three shows open and for all of two weeks while it looks very orderly today it's I suppose people always say that I'm a bit OCD when I come to my filing and uh, that but I have to keep everybody else in order I suppose. What new challenges did this production throw up? Do you know, uh, I suppose one of the processes that we had, not necessarily that hopped on my door in the last number of weeks, but one of the things we had to do after a design presentation and we had sat with the director, the conductor and the designers, they actually told us that we needed five super, super numeries, five extras. So we did our chorus don't sing all on stage in this production. So we had our chorus, we had our principals picked, they said, no, we need five extras. So myself, the assistant company manager, Nikki and Ray Bingle during the course of the summer actually put a call out through social media, local media and various other things and asked people were they interested to come along and be an extra in our show. So we had to give the talk and then we had to get all the extras and we had to measure them. And some of them had to look like some of the singers that we already had contracted because there's a bit of a mirror image thing going on in this show. And then we had to get their measurements and photographs and send them off to the designer so the costumes could be made. So they're in the most fabulous costumes that was they were specially made for them and they will be in rehearsals. We would have to give them the rehearsal schedule to see if their availability because they all have jobs or college or whatever. Make sure that they fit in with our re- tight rehearsal schedule and that they will. Yeah, they're on stage fully costumed, which they're going to look fab. But, you know, people... You look for different things at different times and it was five people for this show. Two guys and three girls. All of them are locals. One guy's still in school. So I think he's in fifth year now, Owen O'Connor. So yeah, yeah, they're all locals and that's where we'd usually source them. I've contracted 157 people just for Wexford Festival Opera. And I was standing outside looking in as they had the dock doors open and they were changing the scene, scenery the other day and I said... This is a completely different world. This is town life is going on and the people in town know through advertising, through media, all of that. They know what's going on. But this world, nobody has a clue of the dramas that are happening. You know, the singers, the world that it is, because it is like living on Mars, I suppose. Teresa Sang, stage manager, introduces us to her workspace and explains the role she plays. We are standing in the downstage left corner of backstage, standing behind our show walls and looking out into our Act 3 set. We do very much the same as in theatre. However, we're working on score. So I have what I call my prompt score, and I will write into it all the lighting cues, all the entrances and exits of all the performers, I also am responsible for calling to the stage all the performers, and I will also write in all the blocking, which is all the stage movement of the performers into my book, which is why my prompt copy has the score on one side and then a planned drawing of the set we're working on in the act on the other side, so I can use it as a map and map people onto the page. 
and my assistants and I, we make sure we have everything the show needs to run practically. Um, so we do plot where all the props come from, where they go on, who has them when they come off. We also plot for wardrobe, what everyone's wearing at any time. We plot where the quick changes go, should there be any. And we're also the last line of defense before performers go on to make sure that they're wearing what they're supposed to be wearing in totality and have what they need to do the show. On any production, there are always some things that are a little tricky that can cause maybe a little anxiety. For for us, in the first act particularly, there's two rings that need to go into the pocket of McGregor, who is Maria's father. There's some action around the two rings, so if he forgets those two rings, he'll have to do a little bit of mime, which is not always the best thing for him to do, so we will have to make sure that he's ready to go. Our other issue on this show is that the set and all the furniture is is white. So we need to make sure that we can keep everything beautifully clean and white for the whole run of the show and the rehearsals as well. So that for us is a challenge. So you'll see all our furniture, a lot of it will be covered up when it's sitting backstage. Scuffing the floor is also one of those things that we have to watch. So we try and get everybody in their show shoes so that they're not wearing their street shoes out on stage and we can keep it as clean as possible. Because the look is beautiful, the white and the silver with the accents of black and just a bit of colour. So we have to keep it as well as we can. In front of us here on the console, we have three monitors. I have a colour stage feed monitor, which shows me everything when it's lit up. I have an infrared monitor, which shows me everything when it's dark. And I also have a monitor feed to the conductor, to Maestro. And he shows me everything that's happening in the show to a certain extent, musically. I coordinate with him because I tell him when when we're ready to start the show. So I press a little green button on his podium there and the green button goes on and he starts the music. And I take a lot of cues off his upbeats and downbeats of his baton. So when he's beating the show and he's cueing everybody, he's also cueing me. And I follow him because that's how we all coordinate. Everybody's looking at him. The orchestra's looking at him to coordinate with the stage. So I have to look at him as well to coordinate myself with what's what's happening. And he's in, as we say in North America, he drives the bus. So if his tempo varies, we go with him. We I have to go with him. So I watch him a lot. How does the opera end? Ultimately, it ends poorly. The only person left standing is Douglas. And Margarita is there too. And Margarita now draws the um, parallel between Maria and Ratcliffe and Maria's mother and Ratcliffe's father. And says, now they are together. Finally together. Even in death. But it's so grand. The music is so grand. And that ending is, as my assistant stage managers describe it, it's just epic. A final word from the artistic director, David Agler. We've got a terrific uh, production team, uh, and uh, as I'm talking to you, you can see it's uh, monolithic. It makes the stage look immense. It's going to be very white. The costumes are all white. So it's a production that has a real uh, aesthetic point of view, and I think there are going to be a couple of absolutely dynamite uh, visual effects. Guglielmo Ratcliffe will be performed this Wednesday the 28th of October and on Saturday the 31st, one of the principal operas of the 2015 Wexford Festival Opera. The festival runs until Sunday the 1st of November.
On next week's programme, Making 1916, a look at material culture, images, objects and spaces as a way into present considerations and understandings of our past, with contributions by Lisa Godson, Joanna Brooke, Brian Crowley, Pat Cook and Elizabeth Crook. Join us then. Good night. Arts Tonight is presented by Vincent Woods and produced by Cleanan Ianluan.